podcast and radio show from the David A. Howe Public Library recorded right here in Wellsville, New York. I'm Nick Gunning and it's Star Trek Day. Star Trek Day. Hey, that's my guest host for this week, Hillary Gunning. Hi. Hillary's the host of Previously on X-Men. I am that. Over on the Radio Meanwhile Network, although we're not really talking about X-Men today, so I don't, I don't know why you're here. Uh, I could leave. No, no, no. <laughs> no, you're here. We might as well. We might as well talk a little Star Trek. And in fact, there are some pretty fun Star Trek X-Men crossovers. Yes, there are. There is a there's a, the, a Kirk era comic, a Next Gen era comic, and then the Next Gen era comic got a full novel sequel from Michael Jan Friedman. It's insane. Did the geeks just like get a, get I, like, was it a make a wish thing? I honestly don't know how it happened. Okay. It's like fan fiction run amok. I don't understand it. They're all fun. I love all of those They're things. They're all fun and interconnected and there's even some in-jokes about how much Professor X and uh, Captain Picard look alike. <laughs> so, you know, quality stuff. But anyway, that's not our topic today. It is Star Trek Day. Wrath of Khan just turned 40, and we're going to be talking all about the Wrath of Khan. But before we do that, let's open up our books, see where our bookmarks are at. Okay. Hillary, what have you been reading in your life? Uh, I'm sort of finished a bunch of stuff very recently okay uh i was reading far sector by nk jemison the green lantern that's a graphic novel yes i so i haven't read nk jemison uh and i haven't read far sector it's been on my list for a long time and i kept i usually read those on the app and i kept waiting for the app to like finish up the run Mm -hmm. and it took forever so actually we got it in print here at the library before i read it in print oh you did Mm -hmm. and what did you think i really liked it i'd never i don't think i've ever read a single green lantern thing ever in my really life. Like, like i, I read i read comics yeah. most most of what i do is marvel yeah and like x-men sure sure you know? yeah but uh yeah so i just read it and it, it was very interesting it's a very i don't know the premise is that she is sort of like a different style of green lantern like they give okay. her an, a different kind of ring so she's not like oh. an official green lantern oh okay yet or something i don't know it's oh. weird but she's basically sent off to this yeah, later, <laughs> later on, she'll show up and be like, "Oh, I'm ba- I'm just back. I was just posted in a far sector." It's fine. okay. <laughs> <laughs> but she's basically sent to this place that Green Lanterns have never been, and you get to see really interesting, like civilization, creativity, all kinds okay. of cool alien nonsense. Huh. And she's sort of like a like a cop, sort of like a like a liaison. I don't know. She's like an investigator. It's interesting. Green Lantern has had an interesting run in comics recently. In the last couple of years, they did the Green Lantern Earth One stuff. And Earth One is kind of its own line where it's like, we're just going to reimagine this one character as if they are the only hero that exists in this world. And boom, here it is. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed Wonder Woman and Teen Titans in particular. But there was that. They gave uh, Grant Morrison his own Green Lantern book that was, of course, weird kooky? and kooky. Yes, it was. But you might like it. Uh, and then there was also a YA graphic called Green Lantern Legacy, which was another thing, sort of an atypical path to a Green Lantern. I really like that. I've read all of those. I haven't read Far Sector, but maybe I'll have to push it up on the list now. Yeah, I think you'd like it. Okay. And are you? It, there's follow-ups to that as well, right? They yeah. They kind of touched yeah. on that well, character. Well, that's the interesting thing, because I sort of started reading Green Lantern stuff after that, yeah. which I've just never, I've just never read. Yeah. But now I'm yeah. Like reading just regular Green Lantern stuff because she might show up. Wow. She's just, just shown up okay. in the stuff that I've looked at. Does it work with like the proper DC universe or is it 
unusual. I can't tell. Okay. I think okay. I think so. I, like right. the stuff that I'm reading is like something insane happened like yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't like I know basically what it was. Okay. I don't know. It's it's a little wild. Hey, you know what? There's a really fun two volume crossover between Green Lantern and the J.J. Abrams Star Trek movies. Why is this a thing? I don't know. That's so I don't know. Strange. There's so many. There's Star Trek Planet of the Apes. There's Star Trek Transformers. Uh, Star Trek uh, Legion of Superheroes. Is there like a particular era when this was happening? I mean, the the Green Lantern stuff is pretty recent. So, really? Yeah, I don't know. It's all over the place. So strange. I don't know. But the Star Trek Green Lantern stuff is really fun. And it's sort of like paradigm shifting. I don't remember which direction it goes, but one of the two of them, either the either the Green Lanterns get stuck in the Star Trek universe or Star Trek gets stuck in the DC universe. And it just explores that. It's really weird. That's But bizarre. I loved it. It was a lot of fun. It was okay. kind of, it was a fun little, Maybe uh, I'll check it out. a what if story mm-hmm. for you Marvel fans out there what is what I would call it. What yeah. If? DC would say Elseworlds. Okay. So you're reading Far Sector. I've been reading a lot of She-Hulk. I've been reading She-Hulk. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We're doing here at the library. We've been doing these discord book clubs monthly and we're kind of talking about you know, the, the character's comic history we're talking about, if there's a movie or TV show. So we're sort of encompassing in this book club a little bit of, it's September 13th, so not too late to join us. And it's digital, so you can do it wherever you want. Just send us a message uh, over on Twitter at all the book show, and we'll hook you up. But anyway, yeah, we're talking about that a little bit. So I read all the Mike Vosberg stuff, and of course we had Mike on the show uh, a few episodes back. I've been reading the Dan Slott stuff, and the John Byrne stuff is classic. I mean, that's kind of, when people think of She-Hulk, I feel like that's what really influenced the character and kind of took it in the, in the more fun direction that that it's gone ever yeah. since so anyway liking the show liking the dance lot stuff uh it's a, it's a good time to be a she-hulk fan it is so are know. there she-hulk fans yeah of course yeah i mean i listen i really i really enjoyed yeah. it eventually once i read through it and yeah. kind of like got a feel for the character but i wasn't super interested at all before she, that so she-hulk remains marvel's most successful solo title with a with a woman lead well, that's not that surprising. <laughs> actually, that's not true. In sort of like an offshoot, Spider-Girl actually does go a little bit longer. But as far as like the proper Marvel Universe, She-Hulk's runs tend to be the longest. Huh. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. A little She-Hulk information for you there. Yeah. You can learn more at the book club, <laughs> Hillary. <laughs> we can't give you everything. If you want a book club right with us, now. that'd be fun. I read a book called Hurricane Girl by Marcy Demansky. I've read that. It's it's so good. It's really good. I loved it. I, I didn't love I didn't really that know what to expect. That is the weirdest book. It is strange. I like it because it's like this weird, it's a first person yeah. perspective yeah. and your entire, the entire book, you're like in the head of someone who basically has brain damage. Right. And it's just so interesting. It is. I think it's done really well. Yeah. I've read things like that before and often it's like, it's hard to maintain that. Yeah. It's hard to make that consistent because the, in the narrative you need a little consistency. Yeah. Yeah. So you see, there, there is some growth that you see. Yeah, you do. In her, like she gets better and then she kind of gets. Yeah. It's, ju- it's, I don't know. I would recommend like the repetition, it. everything. Yeah, it's a relatively quick read. I want to say it's like 200 plus pages, but, you know, not huge or anything. Uh, I kind of tore through it and really had a good time. And there's a point in it where the characters bond over Star Trek. So even relevant That's to today's, today's topic. Uh, anything else? Uh, what are you currently reading? Uh, well, another thing I just finished was Jane Steele by Lindsay Fay. I don't think I've heard of that. Is that it's it's like you know how everybody does Jane Austen? Oh yeah, like sure, takes or whatever. Yeah, Yeah. whatever. It's not a Jane Austen thing, but it's like in the style of sort of. Oh, the main character thinks she's evil. Okay, so I guess it's just sort of like a take on 
how a Victorian author would write someone like that. Okay. So it's kind of funny. I think maybe I landed on not loving it. <laughs> okay. But I did what think a it journey. was I did think it was very interesting. Okay. To read through. And right now I'm almost finished with Leave No Trace by Lindsay Maya. And uh that's another one that has been a journey. Is I that that's like a murder mystery or no, it's no? not. I okay. mean, I, I get why you would think that because okay. it has, it's sort of, it feels like almost like a procedurally kind of thing, but okay. it ends up being kind of like a weird adventure. I don't know. Oh, it's like a wilderness wilderness. Okay. That's not where it's I very, okay. I mean, it's a lot of things, I huh. guess it's and a lot of things successfully. Is it a lot of things? I think successfully it okay. is a lot of things. I think there are elements that I really don't like about it, but <laughs> other than that, I okay. do think I like it. Okay. So. All right. I'm currently reading Foundation by Isaac Asimov. So we've been doing a little bit of a, uh, we did a three-part sci-fi book club. We started with Dune. Uh, then we moved on to The Left-Handed Darkness by Ursula K. Le Guin. And we're ending on Foundation by Isaac Asimov. I haven't read a ton of Isaac Asimov in the past. And I have been enjoying this. And I think it helps a little bit that I've seen not all but part of the Apple Plus TV show Foundation. Oh, yeah. So you can sort of picture what's going on. Yes, because it's sort of... I mean, it, it deals with the span of like, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of years. And you're sort of like to try to keep all of that in your mind about how things relate to each other. I, I think it's a little challenging. So having the frame reference of the show is mm -hmm. helpful a little bit. But I'm actually enjoying it more than I expected to. I'm reading a challenging high sci-fi novel. Are you really? What are you reading? <laughs> I'm also reading The Three Body Problem. Oh, my gosh. That's an audio book that I'm oh, doing okay. that with. Yeah. It's, it took me a while to figure out what the heck was happening, but uh, I, yeah. now that I sort of have a bit of a track on it, I'm really enjoying it. That was sort of notoriously complex. It is. At the it time. is. And a lot, of it, it, a lot of it is like all of these really high-level physicists have discovered something okay. that's making them crazy. And if you're not a high-level physicist, you're not going to understand it. And so it's a lot of that, a lot oh. of just... Like as a reader being like, so okay. something, what's, something's, what's happening? What? Oh. But I... Ah. It's a lot of that, <laughs> but it's interesting. Okay. All right, all right. It's a. I want to say it's a trilogy. I think there's. Oh no, really? Three of them. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I can commit to yeah. that. Yeah. I really, I really am enjoying it. All right. Well, you have to check back in when you finish. Uh, for my comfort food, I'm reading Blood Feud by. Uh, this is by Mike Lupica. It is in the style of Robert B. Parker, and it's the first of the Sonny Randall novels not written by Parker. I love Sonny Randall. I love Sonny Randall too, and she's I was one of my favorite characters. She's great. I was telling Allie in the last episode that I kind of made the jump to read some of the Jesse Stones not written by Robert Parker. And that was a little characters were right writing not so much. I feel like this, I think it might have fooled me. Mm -hmm. Like if I really didn't like know, didn't know I think I might have just accepted that it was Robert B. Parker writing it. Mm -hmm. the, ca the characters do feel right. And I think the um I don't know, there's something about his wit, there's something about his sort of sardonic approach to both narration and dialogue that mm -hmm. I think is coming through in this. And I haven't finished it, so maybe it'll fall apart. But <laughs> so far, I'm, I'm pretty impressed with it. I must have read that. I don't remember it. Okay. It's good so mm -hmm. far. And they're continuing the series. So nice. I don't know. I'm, I was, I was uh, very nervous about when I, you know, kind of got out of the Parker written stuff. But I have a million Spencers to read. Uh, so I, I have a while before I hit that mark. But with the side characters, you know, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm in it now. And, yeah. you know, so I'm here far, for so more good. sunny. 
you were on a, uh, a Spencer episode of the All the Book Show. I was trying to think that. Yeah. I felt like I'd been on something about... Uh, you, me, Eric Mickles, Kendra Mickles uh, all talked about the oh, movie Spencer right, Confidential the movie. That was with Marky Mark. an experience. It was. And with them, we kind of talked about Spencer in general. So yeah. you can find that and all episodes over on uh, the All the Book Show YouTube channel, which includes everything from How's Things, All the Book Show, and In Dorian Life. We've Sift been... through all of those. Find that's your right. favorite books. That's right. We've been sort of slowly uh, um, archiving archiving all of those so mm-hmm. they're all available so if you're not following the youtube page you can go find it over there and you can see actually a lot of video versions of the episodes particularly eric and i went through a phase on the all the book show where we were doing videos like regularly mm-hmm. so very different experience mm. so anywho uh that's pretty much it for my currently reading anything else you want to mention yeah, reading or watching okay that's all i got all right well let's transition into some book news then look into the future to see what it proves it's time for book that cut of that uh, the book news song Ben Lehman wrote and performed and that was sort of his like I don't know I'm thinking about this noodling along and that was the one like <laughs> that was him just being like hey listen to this and we've used it ever since why is he so, so weirdly talented I at that don't thing know. that has nothing to do I with I have his no idea life? he he's a master jingle writer it's very it strange. is it is amazing and it is impressive and you can listen to Ben episodes over on the YouTube yeah. channel <laughs> can you did, search that kind of thing no but he did the one of our most popular episodes from all eras is our Neil Gaiman Spotlight with Ben. Uh, that uh, that yeah. is on that's on YouTube, so you can find it there. But we're going to be talking New York Times bestsellers. This is the hardcover fiction list for September 11th, 2022. Number 10, 17 weeks on the list, Lessons in Chemistry by Bonnie Garmas. A scientist and single mother living in California in the 1960s become a, becomes a star on a TV cooking show. You know how they say don't judge a book by its cover? Yeah. Do we need to change that? Because, like, they're so purposeful about yeah. marketing the covers of these books yeah. like you know exactly the kind yeah. of book it's going to be by looking at the cover just like from the style of it yeah i i do think there's some truth to that and i think thinking back to when we had susan wiggs here in the library and on the show uh as part of her presentation she put up like 50 different versions of the cover of um oysterville sewing circle and uh, sugar and salt and just talked about that process and yeah. what it's like, you know, and the difference between the hardcover version and like the floppy paperback version. We got into that a little bit with Dylan Newton as well, where, yeah, there's a lot of work put into broadcasting. This is the kind of book that it is. So, yeah, I think that maybe is a little bit. Out of I date. say that because I can tell what kind of book this is by looking Based at the, on cover. the cover. It's a good cover. <laughs> it is a good cover. Yeah. Yep. Uh, number nine, 11 weeks on the list, the Hotel Nantucket. The new general manager of a hotel far from its Gilded Age heyday deals with the complicated past of her guests and staff. Okay. Feels a little run of the mill. Yeah. Okay. Number eight, two weeks on the list, Overkill by Sandra Brown. I have never read a Sandra Brown. Have you? I don't know that I've heard of Sandra Brown. Oh, I bet you have. She's Sandra Brown has been a staple of every book sale and used bookshop for the last like 30 years. Okay. So I'm sure you've seen a Sandra Brown or two. Uh, a former football star falls for a state prosecutor at the same time he must decide whether to kill his ex-wife who's on life support to ensnare her attacker. Wow. Is she the female Clive Cussler? There were so many and then and then and thens in this one sentence. Yeah. I thought I knew what it was. And Is then she I was also like, going whoa, to whoa, find whoa. Nazi gold? <laughs> I hope so. Gosh, I hope so. Yeah. Wow. That's Overkill by Sandra Brown. I don't know. I don't know. I, I always try it's to get called overkill. It is. <laughs> yeah, it is. I, I do this thing where I try to convince 
someone to read a I try to convince on air someone to read a book with me. Do you want to read Overkill together? I'm not going to lock it in until we're through the list. Okay. There might be something better. No, no, that's fair. I think you got to see I think you got to see where this journey's taking us. Number 7, 2 weeks on the list, The Challenge by Danielle Steele. The challenge for Danielle Steele is going for a week without introducing a new book she to the market. She can't. It's a challenge she does not meet. Parents of children who have gone missing on a dangerous peak in Montana form a search and rescue mission. So the parents are searching for the children in Montana. On a dangerous peak in Montana, to be specific. Yeah. Isn't Danielle Steele like romance? Am I making that up? Um, I think that was more true like in the 80s and 90s. I think. Are she's you calling me old? No, I just think that that is sort of the reputation of a Danielle Steele book. They all sort of had that same color. It was like one sort of overexposed pastel color and the big gold Danielle Steele name on the top. And that was sort of, again, broadcasting from the cover what it was going to be. But she's moved on from that. I think so. I think she's broadened out a little bit. Okay. I, but in truth, I've not never read a Danielle Steele, so I don't know. Just based on the description and sort of the direction of things like the cover and the way they're presented yeah, sort of tells me that, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're moving on. Number six, seven weeks on the list, the 620 man, David Baldacci. When his ex-girlfriend turns up dead in his office building, an entry-level investment analyst. I did this last <laughs> time. I did this last time. An entry-level investment analyst delves into the analysis. halls. Analyst. It's pronounced analysis. No. I know. I'm just kidding. Oh, <laughs> You know what it is. I brought up Eric, and now I'm like taking on Analyst. Eric's persona of yes. not being able to say simple words. Uh, number five, new this week. That's always exciting. What's exciting? No comment. When it's new this week, oh, I it hasn't it. been yes. sitting there for a long time. I don't know the pattern time. of the list like you do. New this week, Fox Creek by William Kent Kruger, the 19th book in the Cork O'Connor mystery series. Cork. Cork. And, I, and again, this is a Star Trek episode, so I want to be clear. We're not talking about Quark. Not Quark. Not Quark. The Ferengi from, from Deep, Deep Space, Space Nine, Nine. But Cork. Cork. Cork as in what you'd push out of a bottle. Corky. Cork. <laughs> <laughs> that was a quote from Corky Romano, everyone. <laughs> the Chris Kattan movie. <laughs> Corky Romano. Cork uses his skills as a hunter to track mercenaries and confronts his own self-doubt. Okay. Okay. I don't know the Cork O'Connor mystery series i don't know how you keep saying cork o'connor like but (laughs) but i think this one sentence here could probably be used to describe all cork o'connor mysteries cork uses his skills as a hunter to track mercenaries and confront his own self-doubt right it's it's a it's a lot of action it's a lot of introspection it is yeah well that's the thing with cork you know you know what you're getting when you go to a cork o'connor mystery yes you do Number four, new this week, Soul Taken by Patricia Briggs. You know who's a big Patricia Briggs fan? Who? Kate Miller, children's librarian extraordinaire, Kate Miller. We did a whole episode on Patricia Briggs. Yeah. And for that episode, I read several of the Mercy Thompson graphic novels. Mm Mm-hmm. They were fine. (laughs) All right. I know that Kate's read this book, and I think she's sort of like, okay, it's uh, wearing a little thin here. But this is the 13th book in the Mercy Thompson series, The Disappearance of the Vampire Wolf I don't like that. There's so it's, na- it's W-U-L-F-E. Yeah. It's a vampire named Wolf. I don't. I, you, you don't like that? I don't. The, okay, uh, let's just get through it. The disappearance of the vampire Wolf, wolf. And, and others, Wolf and others, might indicate the return of the Harvester. Other vampires? It might indicate that. The I don't know. The disappearance of the vampire Wolf and others. And others. Other Vamp- vamp- maybe probably vampires i probably i would think so okay yeah yeah the return of the harvester it might, it might it might is someone who 
makes vampires disappear, presumably. He's a harvester. He harvests. He's a Van Helsing type. I don't know. I don't remember talking about the harvester. I'll ask Kate. Number three, two weeks on the list, All Good People Here by Ashley Flowers and Alex Keister. (laughs) (laughs) Hillary. I'm sorry. Oh, my God. I'm sorry. It came out of nowhere for me. professional. I'm just sitting here, and you said Keister. A (laughs) journalist. This is a serious one. I'm sorry. A journalist. Oh, no. Is it going to be like. A journalist who returns to her hometown vows to find a missing girl and solve a 20-year-old case. It's a cold case. No, I don't. I think she says cold case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think finding the missing girl is in addition. Oh, so there's two. Separate. Yeah, Why I think she's trying so to find the. These days, I don't know. It's this and this, I don't and know. also this. This doesn't yeah. say anything about the journalist's psyche. Yeah, what, at and all. and confronts her own doubts. Yeah. I feel like you got to say. You got to. Uh, I would call that overkill by Sandra Brown. <laughs> Number two, new this week, Girl Forgotten by Karen Slaughter. No, I, it's look, too late for these. I can't, I shouldn't judge Karen Slaughter based on one book that I read by her, but there was a book called Definitely like, shouldn't. All the Pretty Girls, and it was such an ugly, like, look how torture and how bad everything is in this book. I hated it so much. That sounds unpleasant. And I just have never dipped my toe back in the waters of of Karen Slaughter. U.S. Marshal Andrea Oliver gets to Long Bill Beach to protect a judge and winds up investigating a cold case from 1982. That's what you got if there's a cold case that lands on your doorstep. Fun fact, The Wrath of Khan came out in 1982. What? Uh, Yeah. Do you think it's related? I think that we can't rule out that it's related. I think it's related. (laughs) Listen, I like... This is going to be a surprise to you. Okay. I like female protagonists. Yeah. I like strong female protagonists. Yeah. I like detectives yeah. who are women. You're just I you're describing Jessica Jones from Marvel. I know. All of listen, all of all of my favorite characters are the same person. <laughs> all of them. Jessica Jones. Yeah. Captain Marvel. Yeah. Sonny Randall. Yeah. I mean, they're just yeah. I mean, I would read some Spider-Woman if if I had yeah. to cuz yeah. that's right up there. That's true. That's true. Same I was person. thinking Spider Woman. Okay. Number one, new this week, Babel by R.F. Quang. New this week, and it's new. Is it new to the list or just new to number one? Uh, it's, no, it's new this week. If it's been on the list before, it will say. So it went straight to number list. one. It wouldn't jump, jump right to number one. In 1828, Robin Swift studies at Oxford University's Royal Institute of Translation and faces a choice when Britain pursues a war with China. Britain pursues a war with China? Yeah, she faces a choice. That is pretty serious. Retranslation, I guess. Yikes. So in eighteen twenty did that happen? I don't I don't know. I don't remember. You're the history person. I know, I don't remember I don't remember Britain contemplating a war with China in eighteen twenty eight. I'm gonna look that up when this I is. I think over. you should. I think you should. That I think feels that would not be, real. I mean like It does feel not real. It does feel not real, but you know, we only have the evidence presented to us here. <laughs> it is thorough. Okay, Hillary, it is Star Trek week. It is. And, well, it's Star Trek Day, really. Star Trek I mean, Day. Star Trek Day lives well, in our hearts year round. I feel, I feel, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel that as, we're millennials, right? We're old millennials. I don't, I don't like that. I feel I, like listen, as. No, 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 no. You open this door and we got to <laughs> get into know. it. I know. I know what you're going to say. It's the internet. It I is it. the internet. You can, I live my whole high school life, like not having access to the internet. And then, like the people right after me, only know the internet. Yes, how it, are it we is the same generation? Different. It that is makes different. No sense. But I'm just saying, as we get older, Fine. I think it does. We do kind of have a, a certain commonality. Okay. Anyway, as 
millennials enter okay. sort of like the mainstream adult world okay. we're, we're just sort of like now i feel like we're what, i'm like 37 i'm just now accepting that i am a legitimate like adult i oh. am part of the adults that run the world and i feel like <laughs> as we're <laughs> as we're doing yeah. as, as like a generation we're coming into okay. that yeah i feel I like you. things like birthday week birthday month i feel like those are becoming more mainstream and okay. I think it's because of us. I certainly know people, you and me. You, personally. Us, us as a group. Yes. I certainly know people who ascribe to that. It's my birthday month. It's my birthday yeah, week. Yeah, and I, so. I think it's becoming more of a thing. Yeah. And I think it's because millennials are coming into our own as the people who ruin the world. Okay. Well, I, I guess I thought you were going for something positive and it really kind of ended on a down note. Well, I was going to say run the world, but I think all adults end up ruining, ruining it. Okay. So you Historically, just, you just so I guess I'm I. just assuming. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, but I I do feel like because I I like these days too. This is another thing that's happening because we have Star like, Trek Day. We have Star Trek Day, which is more of a thing. We have Batman Day, which is what? coming up. What? That's like no no no. What Batman Day? Batman Day. What is Batman Day? Ba- you can listen to our special episode next week where Daphne and I look at the Batman animated series. But yeah, it's uh it's I think it's it lines up with Batman's debut in comics. And DC always does, like, a thing every year. They, they have, like, you know, libraries can go and get, like, Batman Day packets of, like, word searches and coloring pages and stuff like that. I'm going to say something controversial, and it I may or may not be true. I don't think it's a good idea, but okay, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> I'm not going to say I don't like Batman. Okay. I like Batman. Okay, sure. I don't feel okay. that Batman go on. has the same cultural impact as Star Trek. Hmm. Like, I feel like a Star hmm. Trek day yeah. makes more sense to me okay. than a Batman day. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I think there's some merit to that. I think that, you know, is the concept of Star Trek as universal as Batman? Probably. Probably. Yeah, but it's not... I don't know. No, I know, but that's what I'm saying. I think I think there is, like, as a cultural, like, touchstone, there's probably something there but i feel like I the mean, like, thing with star trek is the philosophy of star trek i think is much more like laid out and much more profound than the philosophy of like batman well of course but i also just mean like it's it's made because star trek exists we have iphones like that kind of oh thing. well sure yeah yeah like i think that star trek has had legitimate hard like What's the, yeah. you know, physical, yeah, yeah. actual yeah. impact I think that's on our society. Well, how many people out there, like, became engineers or computer scientists yes. because of Star Trek? Yeah, I think that's, a, that's an excellent point. It is yeah. an excellent point. No, Thank it is. You. I, I agree with you. I think, I think that's fair enough to say. My point in starting all of this was what, that I like having these times to sort of celebrate things it is like fun. fandom it is and fun. things like that. You know what? You have know? your Batman day. Thank Live you. your life. Thank you. But that's not, that's next time. But We're, today. Yeah. Let's get into Star it. Star Trek Day. Let's get into it. So we were kind of looking at different topics we could talk about for Star Trek Day. Uh, last year, we uh, Steve Rudd and I from Endorian Life just kind of did a little bit of a, an overview of our favorite things about Star Trek. This year, because it's it's the 40th anniversary of the Wrath of Khan, uh, we thought we'd talk a little bit about the Wrath of Khan. Khan! Thank you. <laughs> you beat me to it. Khan, you, the, you bloodsucker! You were the first one to get there. Uh, the Wrath of Khan, I think, is just one of those movies that most people know wouldn't you say 
I feel like that, but like I'm me. Yeah, you and are. And so my circle of reference is not, yeah. you know, all people. Well, the Star Trek movies, I think it's just the first four so far, have just had a big release in like the big 4K and they're doing director's editions and things like that. Wrath of Khan was released in theaters as a Fathom event, the director's cut, which is slightly elongated from the original theatrical version of that. Uh, oh, and it, sad. it looks great. It looks great. So we it did. It was Khan. We did. <laughs> You're just going to quote Wrath of Khan the whole time. I can't stop myself. So we did go see this in actual theaters. Yeah, it was awesome. I'm ashamed to say that my Star Trek viewing in theaters is very limited. It's the three J.J. movies. Mm -hmm. I saw The Cage as a special. Uh No, it was The Menagerie, actually. It was The Menagerie as a special Fathom event. And the only of like the classics that I saw in theater was Star Trek Generations. I didn't even see yeah. Nemesis or Insurrection. When I was younger, yeah. I feel like I didn't really see them as theater movies. Mm. Like, okay, I don't know. I don't know if we just didn't want. I know I saw First Contact in theaters. That would be fun. Uh, I feel like maybe that was the only. No, no, no. I saw probably Insurrection. I don't know. Okay. I feel like the later ones. Yeah. I saw because it, I was in control of my own fate. Yeah. Yeah. When I was younger and it was my parents, it was like VHS. Oh, okay. Yeah, that, I mean, that's probably how I saw him first, too, like the original movies. I, I don't even really remember how I sort of fell backwards into liking Star Trek in, like, high school. Yeah. You know, and I would watch, like, reruns of the original series on sci-fi. Um, I had the movies. I think I've, I I watched the movies kind of before I really got into the series. The the original Star Trek, like the, the Shatner era movies, to me, are, that's like my North Star of Star yeah. Trekness. I mean, I just love them so much. I, do you I want, think do you they're excellent. Do you want to know my history with Star Trek? I do. Yeah, hit me. I have always, since birth, <laughs> known Star Trek. Okay. My mom was a Trekkie before okay. I was born. And so yeah. it was just, she has, continu- still has these, all episodes of the original series, all episodes of the um, Next Generation, Next Generation I assume, yeah. on VHS that okay. she taped off the television. Yeah. And p- meticulously labeled each episode name wow. and everything. And what I think of the most is that when I would stay home sick from school, <laughs> I would just watch hours and hours and hours of those VHS tapes. Wow. I was more of Price is Right and Adam West Batman. That's also good. Yeah. That's also good. Yeah. Okay. So you you go deep. I go deep. But you're... I mean, where? but where is your pull? I mean, are you primarily, would you say, like, next gen? Is it's it's tough because I would say next gen is my <laughs> – you know how people have, like, native languages? Yes. And then they have, like – I that's probably my, like, native thing okay. because it's, like, what I legit grew up on. Yeah. Voyager came out when I was starting to be – I mean, like early teen, maybe. And so it was sort of the one that was my show. Yeah. So I watched Voyager and like, you know, wrote fan fiction with my best friend (laughs) and like all (laughs) kinds of nonsense. Like it was Voyager was like a part of my teenage experience. And so it's hard for me to choose between the two of those because Next Gen is like my soul. Yeah. But... Okay. Voyager is the Star Trek I chose. <laughs> well, I, I think that's a little true for me as well. Like the original series was the one that I was kind of aware of most in my mind. But Voyager for me was like airing on UPN in college. And my whole dorm floor would kind of like, even people who didn't care about Star Trek or like, you know, we all kind of like got sucked into Voyager. Mm-hmm. So that was the one that I think I sought out. Yeah. You know, just like as as, as an adult person. UPN so, yeah. still like fills me with rage just hearing the word 
or really? you know, UPN. Yes, because okay. Voyager did not start on UPN. Voyager no, started on what, Fox? No, no, no. Voyager did start on UPN. Voyager was like a, a, a UPN launch. It was like a big Well, thing. I don't know what it was, but I didn't have UPN. Yeah. And I watched the first, what, four seasons yeah. of Voyager religiously. Okay. And then they moved it. Yeah. And I didn't have it. And there, that was just it. Like yeah. I could never, because this is yeah. the time, everyone, <laughs> when if it wasn't on TV, you yeah. couldn't watch it. That was me and Enterprise. I mean, that's how I missed Enterprise because yeah. U- UPN was not, it is not, you know, UPN sense has kind of merged into the CW. UPN would change affiliates a lot. So a channel that started off as a UPN channel, they'd be like, never mind, we're going to become a different, like a Fox or an ABC <laughs> or something like that. So that's, that's probably how you lost it. But yeah. so you, you kind of pull back to those eras but i still like i can never fully say that like voyager is 100 percent like my star trek because i can't shake the original series can't movies. Shake kirk i can't he's so great he's, yeah. he's just an amazing character and i think you know people make fun of shatner all the time but i think his portrayal of kirk is just so deep and nuanced well this i mean talking about the wrath of khan yeah. is a really good opportunity it to is. discuss that so let me give you some facts about the wrath of khan as we dive in here Con. So Star Trek, of course, in the mid '60s, ran for three seasons. wasn't a, Of course, wasn't a massive hit when it was on. Uh, as soon as it was canceled and it went into syndication, it was on basically when kids got home from school. So yes, you know it was funny. What? <laughs> when we watched this in the theaters, it was a Fathom event. Yeah, yeah. And there was like an introduction. Yeah. With some guy in like a library, right, Talking yeah. about the history of it, and I was just like, he's he said basically what you just said, uh-huh. which is valuable information for our listeners. Yeah. But I was just sort of sitting there like, who do you think is in this right. theater? Yeah, yeah. Like, who's... Yeah. What's your audience right now? We know these things. Yeah. <laughs> if yeah. we're coming in the middle of, a day, of the day to watch The Wrath of Khan in yeah. theaters, we know. Yeah. We yeah. know these we things. We do. We do know. But yeah, that's basically how it went. It became a big hit after the fact when the show was already done because rather than being on like 9 o'clock on a Friday, it was on like 4 o'clock on a Monday afternoon. And when all the kids were the like, bus. Yeah. yeah. And so kids love Star Trek. And so it just sort of like built momentum. We had the animated series, which reunited the original cast, ran for two seasons. Uh, and then in the late 70s, probably in part because Star Wars had hit and it was kind of like sci-fi is cool again. Uh, there was talk about like let's really do this let's like bring star trek back so they were going to do a show star trek phase two with a lot of the characters from the motion picture will mm-hmm. decker and ilea things like that nimoy was like no i'm not doing this i don't i'm done with spock i don't want to do this is that the i'm not spock phase yes it is uh and so nimoy was going to be out so they had a new vulcan character and everything as they're building this up they're getting ready to do this they this first episode they're like man it's just really good and the story treatment written by alan dean foster who we interviewed on the all the book show talked a little bit about this but as they're kind of gearing up they're like you know this really it feels cinematic maybe we ought to just like do this as a movie like maybe we should have a movie instead of uh, of a series and so a lot of scripts were written for star trek phase two it was cast there was test screenings there were costumes it was going to happen and then they were like let's make it a movie so they make the movie Star Trek The Motion Picture, which when you go back and watch it, you can see just how visually in love they were mm-hmm. with the fact that they, we can show things now. Yeah. We have a budget. Boy, do they show things. You could cut 35 minutes at least out of that movie yep. just by cutting or trimming exterior shots of the Enterprise. Mm-hmm. The movie is odd. You know, the, the costumes went from like bright and colorful to, you know, it's a cool aesthetic, but it's all like... They're all like cream and gray. It's, yeah, it's like grays and tans and things, and it does look very cool. It is a visually stunning movie. Uh, not a particularly 
engaging like to bring in a new audience to bring in these kids watching it on you know saturday morning or or whatever in syndication it's just not that kind of movie it's a much Mm -hmm. more somber and contemplative kind of thing which i don't think people really were expecting yeah huge budget not a huge hit Mm -hmm. but paramount wisely was like but it's star trek people love star trek Mm -hmm. let's do it again you know let's let's take the money away let's make it a, a much lean and mean kind of a production and let's just see what happens so they that's exactly what they do. On June 4th, 1982, The Wrath of Khan is released. It's directed by Nicholas Meyer, who also did some uncredited rewrites on the script. Never saw or was involved in Star Trek prior to this and made one of the most iconic Star mm-hmm. Trek things ever. Screenplay by Jack B. Swords uh, from a story by Swords and producer Harv Bennett, who had a big hand in shaping Trek going forward. Something that that guy in the introduction of the movie said yeah. that I thought was interesting was how... Uh, they just sort of decided that they were going to write a movie and this guy, this, I guess it was Jack Sowards, just went to an episode that he thought was really cool yeah. and was like, you know, we could do more with this. And yeah. so he just wrote more with that character. And, and I just think absolutely. that's really interesting. Yeah, it was Harv Bennett, actually, producer, who who pulled that out. But the original series had an episode called Space Seed in which they come up upon this ship, the Botany Bay, and they find out that this was sort of like a kind of a I don't know, like these people were sort of imprisoned on the Botany Bay because they were genetically modified. It was it. it, They like in Star Trek, in Star Trek, they like to refer to times between their current era and and like the 20th century that we live in. Yeah. And they like to kind of like show little mistakes that people made. And this episode, they're showing a part of history from their history where people made genetic Super, yeah, super humans, human. yeah, which was a thing that people actually have sure. have looked into sure. in the past. Yeah. And they sort of like took over civilization. Yeah. I think Khan was like actually he he like conquered yeah. some region yeah. of uh, the earth. In the nineties, in like mid ninety five. Yes. <laughs> right at the peak of Beverly Hills nine oh two one oh's fame, Khan yeah. was taking over parts of the earth. He was a big producer of that show. But yeah. uh, well, when you think about that in the '60s, I mean, you're not that far removed from World War II, which, of course, you know, mm-hmm. eugenics that's was true. a big topic. Yeah. So, you know, there, that's even kind of a touchy subject, I think, in the '60s. So, yeah. kind of bold that they yeah went there. But I they, I guess, they they were beaten back somehow, yeah. and then they were shot into space. Yeah, they were. I can't they remember like if they were inten- they were cryogenically yeah. frozen. I can't remember if they were intended to go somewhere or if they were just like we don't want to kill them, I, but we're not going to. I don't know. I don't know if they here. even were escaping. I don't know what the thing is. But yes, they they find this. We we meet Khan, who's played by Ricardo Montalban, and he is just he's so good. He's great. He's just this charismatic, charismatic, you know, aggressive kind of guy. And he and Kirk have some really great scenes and face off. And Kirk. Uh, so I guess spoiler alert for Space Seed, Kirk sort of ends up being like, I don't know what to do with these people. They just, we need to not deal with this. And so they put them on this planet, CD Alpha 5. Uh, it's a, it's an empty planet, but sustains life. They give them all the things they need. And they're like, you start your own colony, bro. And like, yeah. And I think that the, planet. I think the attitude at the end of that is that he's, that Kirk is giving them a chance to just so. like live the way they want to right. live. Well, I think, I think it's clear in Space Seed and really honestly, even in The Wrath of Khan, that Kirk does respect Khan. Yeah. You well, know, the not- problem, the reason that he puts them there is because Khan tries to take over yeah. <laughs> The right. Enterprise, right. because he's such an interesting character. He like genuinely believes that it would be in everyone's best interest if he was in charge. And I think there's a level to that in in the series in which 
they're kind of saying like, oh, maybe it would, but that's not what we're going to do. Right. So I think that's super interesting. And yes, Harv Bennett remembered that and pulled that up for this thing. Got Ricardo Montalban back to play Khan again after 15 years. Uh, and we, we have the Wrath of Khan. We have Kirstie Alley. She's the original character. Uh, Lieutenant Savick, sort of a uh, protege of Spock on the Enterprise. Yeah, she's like a trainee. Yeah, she is. Because the basic setup of Wrath of Khan is that Spock is captaining the Enterprise as a training vessel. And so it's him mm. and trainees. And Kirk makes his way on the ship as a way of sort of inspecting it. Yeah. With other department heads, Sulu, Uhura, mm-hmm. you know, Scotty, uh, to kind of do inspections on those areas as well. So a pretty good, uh, pretty good way to get the crew back together. Yeah. Yeah. And like, while at the same time doing some interesting plot stuff with like people not being prepared right. for the level of stuff yeah. that's going to happen. Yeah. We have BB Besh's Carol Marcus, an old flame of Captain Kirk's, uh, but the, the main scientist behind the Genesis wave, which is a huge project Genesis? here. <laughs> and we have Merrick Buttrick as the son of Jim Kirk and Carol Marcus, which comes out in the plot of the uh, of the story. The events of Wrath of Khan set off an internal trilogy in the original six movies, uh, spanning Wrath of Khan, Search of Spock, and The Voyage Home. Those are all sort of an unbroken narrative there. The score is by James Horner, and it's amazing. Really good score. Completely different from what Jerry Goldsmith was doing uh, in the original but movies. Fits. It does fit. It's much more... It has shades of like a Jaws vibe, you know, sort of a, a, a stalking thing mm-hmm. to it. It also feels nautical at times, like mm-hmm. you kind of picture ship battles. Which, I mean, there's a lot of horns and brass and it's, mm-hmm. uh, it stands out, you yeah. know, as far as Star Trek music typically goes. But Do suits you think it perfectly. this movie is more Moby Dick quotes than other dialogue? Hmm. <laughs> it's uh, that in first contact. I feel like maybe Ty for yeah. uh, for Moby Dick uh, quotes here. The novel uh, by Vonda McIntyre stayed on the bestseller list for three weeks. Novelization? Novelization. Wow. Yep. It was later adapted into a graphic novel form in IDW in 2009, sort of remade in the forgettable Star Trek Into Darkness, which is, I know, the weirdest, biggest misstep they ever could have done. Could have been good. Wasn't. Wasn't. Was not. So let's do it. How does Wrath of Khan rate for you? Like, how do you rank Wrath of Khan? As far as Star Trek movie goes. I mean, I love it. Yeah. Boy, that's a hard that's I a know. hard question because I like all of the different movies for very different I know. reasons. I agree. I think it's probably the most movie movie that there is. Yeah. Like across all of the series. Yeah. I yeah. I mean I that's a good point. Ex- excluding the Chris Pine stuff. Right. Because right. those are just movies. Sure. But yeah, I guess it's just it's it's got a lot of really good setup. Yeah. Uh, if you have the patience, it's it's really worthwhile yeah. pacing and, and, you know. I was trying to, th- like, as we were watching it, I was thinking, someone who doesn't know Star Trek or is vaguely familiar with the concept of Star Trek, could they start with Wrath of Khan? And I kind of think that it does work. I think it does because I think the the acting and the way that they layer in the relationships is still compelling. I think so too. And I and I think that they do a good job in dialogue of kind of catching people up to speed about where they are. Yeah. You know, Kirk is un, unhappy with his role as an admiral. Um, they give you a little bit about what's going on with Khan. You, you see Kirk struggling with his own like mortality as he ages. And all of that I think is really layered in there. And they do a good job of kind of saying, these are the relationships between these characters. So I think it would be an okay place to start. I think so. Because... 
And you you really don't have to watch more unless you want to. I think it functions as a standalone. Oh, definitely. And I think the thing that I don't hear more of, I think everybody would agree that it's a great Star Trek movie, but watching it, I feel like it's just a great movie. Yeah. Like, I don't know why it's not more held up. And, and maybe it isn't, I'm just missing it, but I don't know why it's not held up more as just a great sci-fi classic or just a great movie I in general. I think just because it's, it's part of a sequence. True. Of- well, and it's two. I mean, it, it's treated in, you know, promotion and publicity and things as Star Trek 2, when in fact it's not. It is not a sequel to Star Trek The Motion Picture. No. You know, it's maybe a sequel to the original series is, is an easier thing to... I mean, it's a sequel to Space Seed. <laughs> sure, yeah, that's true. But also, it's it true. doesn't have to be. Like, I, d- I had never seen, I don't think I'd seen Space Seed. Oh, I, I definitely, yeah, same. I definitely watched the movie, Wrath of Khan And first. I was just like, oh... This guy is from Kirk's past. He right. hates him, whatever. Right. Well, because you're dealing with Kirk's past. Mm-hmm. You're dealing with, uh, you know, his his failed relationship with Carol Marcus. You're dealing with him not being a part of his son's life. Mm-hmm. You're dealing with him having to judge his own past decisions based on what he did with Khan the first time around. And all of those things, I think, are really successfully done as a standalone movie. Yes. Like, they're things... I agree. They're elements of the Kirk character that you haven't really looked at yeah. before. Like, it's it's a new look at him as an aging action star, yeah. you know? Yeah, And true. I think... And I don't think that that ever had ever been done before. Like, I can't... Like, the whole, like, oh, I'm getting too old for this, you know, mm-hmm. Lethal Weapon, Die Hard, the later movies, that is more of a thing now. But I want to say in 1982, I can't think of a time when you saw Flash Gordon being like, oh, I'm so old now, you know? <laughs> what is like, my never. value anymore? Never. Yeah, so, I mean, I think that is... Uh, I think that's a really unique aspect of the movie. So to set up the movie briefly, you have Spock on his in his training crew. Kirk and the original crew is coming back to evaluate everybody. So that's like one section of the plot that you have going on. The part that takes place on the regular space station is Carol Marcus is working on this device, which which is basically terraforming. Yeah, you can put it on a dead planet and it will kind of rework the matrix of this planet. Yeah, it's to like really life. intense terraforming because yes. what it does is it restructures matter yes at not an atomic level molecular level i, guess I think so, yeah so it just makes things that are one thing into something else yes which so is basically a replicator yeah basically but on a so those those things are kind of going on but they're not connected and then the third thing that's happening is Chekhov from the original series is on the reliant under captain terrell they are looking they are working specifically with Carol Marcus on the Genesis project and they're trying to find a planet that has no life. Right. So they find a planet which they think is CD Alpha 6 and they go down because there's some readings that they don't quite understand. So they go down and they run into the colony from Space Seed. Yeah. Because what's happened in the intervening years is that CD Alpha 6 actually explodes, shifting the orbit. So CD Alpha 5 becomes... This is CD Alpha 5! Yes, it be- classic con quote. It becomes inhospitable. And yeah. it's only Khan's like, skill that keeps them alive. Yeah. So Khan realizes that they're not looking for him. They're here by chance. And he gets out that they are trying to find this planet to use the Genesis device. And Khan is like, well, I'm going to take your ship. I'm going to get the Genesis device. I'm going to kill Kirk. And then I'm going to do whatever I want. Yep. And that's what kind of ties all three of them together. Mm-hmm. And it becomes, yes, yeah, so a Moby Dick revenge story with Kirk and Khan. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's pretty well tied together, I yeah. feel like. Yeah, that's tight. One of the things that hit me a little bit more this time, and we've touched on it, is is Kirk's aging. Mm-hmm. Is Kirk dealing with the choices he's made, dealing with where he's at in his life? 
what, what is he like 40 45 i mean gotta be in this movie and what struck me the most about it is that i i see a lot with william shatner now he's like 90 is that right yeah and the way that he seems to be aging and the way he seems to be looking at his own mortality, it was like watching him talk now. I know, it's true. Yeah, I you're mean, right. He, it, it just is Kirk in that moment. Yeah. And I thought that was really, really interesting. You get some moments from Kirk the first time he meets David and realizes who he is. His the silent acting that William Shatner does there is pretty spectacular. Do it's we, can heartbreaking. We just stop for a second yes. and talk about William Shatner. Let's do because it because he is probably, I would say, the most made fun of actor. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Ever? Yeah. Well, uh, Christopher Walken is the only one. Chris, that comes yeah, to Christopher mind. Walken's a good. You know. And I really understand it, and I, you know, I did it back when I didn't yeah. really like have yeah. as much perspective on it because he has very distinct acting choices that he makes and yeah. there are funny things that he says yeah but the more i watch him the more i see him making real genuine choices yeah. and moving his character forward and doing more with his acting emotionally yeah than was ever called for for sure when they were first making Star Trek. Well, I think that's what's so interesting when you look at The Cage, which is the original pilot. The Cage is a much more straightforward, typical sci-fi with a different captain, Captain Pike, where he is like the chiseled jaw, like I'm the leading man. you know, And he's a complex and interesting character. I don't mean to throw shade at that because I love The Cage. But I think the thing is, you were used to a certain dashing, like... Errol Flynn kind of guy mm -hmm. as as the lead character in something like this. And Shatner can do that and does when it suits him, but he is just a much more layered kind of leading man hero for this era. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I think a lot of it also in the in the show, I think a lot of it comes through in the relationships. In something like Wrath of Khan, it really just is. I mean, like, there's the relationships. Obviously, yeah. they're hugely important yeah. in this movie. Uh, him, particularly, I think him and Dr. McCoy um, yeah. have a lot of really poignant scenes together. But you see a lot more of him himself, just William Shatner doing yeah. the work and just showing us yeah. Captain Kirk yeah. or Admiral Kirk yeah. going through some really complex... Yeah important right. emotional development essentially a midlife crisis but played out in a very strategic subdued subdued way which yeah. is interesting for that character because yeah. so much of his character is bombastic right. and like it's you just it's just yeah. really good acting yep yeah it is it is and i think that the time they devote to that in a movie like this is really smart mm -hmm. you know because the thing that people kind of ding about the first movie is that it is very slow and it's very again contemplative and i feel like there's a world in which wrath of khan is just an action beat em up a la first contact mm -hmm. and it's, it's much more um it is still like this this big emotional struggle and even between kirk and khan when you consider the fact that the you know this rivalry between Kirk and Khan is now legendary, and it took me a few viewings of the movie to realize they're never in the same room. <laughs> yeah, never. <laughs> they don't have a single moment where they're even on on a set together. Yeah, they're talking to each other from view screens. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they don't even see each other. Right, you're thinking of Kirk's reaction. Like Kirk is is reacting to Khan on his own, and Khan is reacting to Kirk on his own. Sometimes it's audio. Sometimes you know they're seeing videos of each other, and you don't miss it. No. Like them having a, some sort of physical 
contact or being in the same room, I think would really like let the air out of it. Yeah. You know, it, it, well, I think it's because ratcheted up. Yeah, it does. And I think a lot of it is because the movie isn't about their rivalry. Yeah. The movie is about each of them individually going through what they're going through. Yeah. Because Kirk is, is dealing with his mortality, all of that, but he's also dealing with, you know, the weight of responsibility, right. the impact of like him meeting his son, the things he's missed, all of those things. You know? And Khan is dealing with Kirk as an obsession. Like Kirk yeah. is not a person to him anymore. Yeah. Kirk is this thing to be conquered. Yeah. And it's, it's Khan who has lost the control that he had mm-hmm. when he was young yep. and he's sort of losing it. Yeah. And like you see it with, with his, his crew, there's, they have started to second guess him, which right. they have never, ever, right. ever done before yeah. because he is letting himself become unhinged yeah. by this need for revenge. Well, that's that's so interesting because he's just he's not a character who's ever had to approach a problem from the bottom. You mm, know, mm-hmm. he's he's never been the one who's losing. Yeah. You know, and the fact that he is here, even yeah. Space Seed, even being exiled in Space Seed is, is somewhat of a victory mm-hmm. because he gets what he wants. Ultimately, like he would prefer to rule the Earth. But he's ruling a planet his own way. Yeah. Like he does kind of win, you know? And here, no. Yeah. You know, and he's and constantly having to deal with being one-upped. But the interesting thing is that as his crewman tells him repeatedly, he would win yeah. if he would just let this go. Yeah. And he will not. He can't do it. And yeah, he can't do Moby it. Dick. Right. Yep. Yep. And I think, like, they, they quote Moby Dick. It could feel heavy-handed. But I think it's done really well and like in a balanced way and i think it i think part of what makes it so powerful is that it does it does achieve a sort of literary level with the character development and with how the plot affects the characters that that is reminiscent yeah. of something like Moby Dick. It's funny. Never, and not just like copying it. Never in my life have I thought about Moby Dick when watching this movie. Oh, really? Yeah, never. Oh, yeah. I mean, I see it now. It's obvious now. Yeah. You know, I always think, I mean, First Contact is the one that I think of when I think of like a Moby Dick analogy, but it's true. I mean, it really is. Well, First Contact is obvious because it's the protagonist yeah. who is Ahab. Right. And in this, it's the villain. Right. So that is an interesting kind of Kirk like is a Moby Dick subversion. This, he is Kirk episode. is Moby Dick. Yeah, yeah, that's the T-shirt. We're gonna have that. On Kirk the is Moby Dick. Kirk is Moby Dick. Um, I yeah, I mean, I this movie just held up to me so much. There's always a fear of going back to something, you know, from from yesteryear and being like, well, I still like it, but it's not. I just have new respect for this movie, like mm-hmm. seeing it up there. I think it's just great, and I and I really think when you think of it as part one of a, of a three-part story you really see from all of the characters particularly Kirk Spock McCoy but you get a little from all of the characters going through these vastly different circumstances mm-hmm. you know I think the search for Spock is a very underrated movie because it's not Wrath of Khan and it's not the yeah. voyage home the one with the whales the, the one, one with that's the whales. funny <laughs> but the search for Spock really picks up some of these threads from Kirk like his dealing with loss his dealing with failure his dealing with aging and you see him kind of double down on that in a way that shouldn't work or make sense. And I think that, again, that's an interesting way to look at the character. So mm-hmm. uh, it's always hard for me to separate. You know, I asked you how you'd rate these movies. And it's always hard for me to separate two, three, and four because they are just so 
linked. They're very linked. I think that maybe the, I don't know, maybe it's the age at which I watched them or something. I do see them as very distinct mm. just because I think what I latched onto in each of them was not like the Spock plot or right, whatever, sure, you yeah. know? So I think it was easier for me yeah. to just be like the whale I, one. You know, I've <laughs> seen that more in recent years. Like there was physical media releases of those three movies as the Star Trek trilogy. Mm-hmm. Which I mean, is, which only makes sense because they're they are a trilogy. It's very they're very they entwined. Yeah. Whereas whereas one, uh, five and six all kind of there are connecting threads, but they really all serve as standalones and yeah. they don't really have a lot of relation to. Well, well, there's one where they like lose a ship and they end up being in a Klingon cruiser. That's Search for Spock. And like they're only there's a whole movie where they're in a Klingon cruiser. And the only reason is because they had gotten right. it in the previous movie. Well, the Enterprise is really not in Star Trek Four. Yeah, they're they're on that bird of prey the entire time. So again, that's another little sort of deconstruction of like what makes Star Trek work. Mm-hmm. So I, I, you know, I just I have nothing but praise for these movies, and even the ones that are sort of lesser. I and mean, people like to poke fun at Star Trek Five and the motion picture. <laughs> I love Star Trek Five. Yeah, it's so dumb. There are there are things to like about all of them, and they just go for different things their scopes are different and i just find that interesting yeah. in, in a movie series you know to do such yeah well i guess things. i don't know if it's because at the time because star trek was nothing then it was huge then it was nothing and now it's huge again yeah and it's just an interesting wave but i don't know if it's because it was huge at the time and yeah. so they just had more freedom to explore could be but yeah. they do like each movie just does something different yeah it really does what a time. I mean, to think about like next generation is kind of at peak while Star Trek five and six are going. Mm-hmm. What a strange, it was just weird to think about. It's a good time you for Trek. It really was. It really was. Uh, what is, uh, what's your current favorite Star Trek? My current favorite. Yeah. Oh, that's, it's, it's, it's possibly a tie. Okay. I really, really love the animated one. Um, Lower Decks. Lower Decks. Yes. I, love it yeah i was not prepared to love it uh, yeah but it is just i mean like in many ways it's a love letter to the fans yeah. because it's just continual yeah. references and specifically comments. 90s star trek i think yes. is really where it's, it's looking for to. me it's yeah, me, it is it's for, for you it is truly hilarious and i think again functions as just a fun you know in the vein of like a, a rick and morty sort of adult animation yeah but vibe. The, the thing that impresses me the most is that it still feels like Star Trek. Yes, it like does. What I figured it would be was just sort of this like, it's yeah. funny and it's set in like a Star Trek world or yeah. whatever. But like it just, it feels like Star Trek no, to it me. It does feel like Star Trek. But what I'm saying is I feel like somebody could pick this up. And if you get the Easter eggs and the references, it's that much better. But I feel like it is fun just on its own. Those references are deep cuts. They are. Oh, my gosh. Yes. They are. An encyclopedic knowledge of Star Trek goes into the writing of those shows. You said it was a tie. What else? The other one might be strange. I don't know. But I like Strange New Worlds. Oh, yeah. Anson Mount as uh, Chris Pike. I really love it. And I think part part of what I love about it is that some of the episodes aren't great. Yeah. Like, I really like... That it's got, I mean, this this is a series that is specifically s- trying to get back at what Star Trek was. Yeah. Like, original series, next yeah. gen, primarily, I would yeah. say. And 
I think it really does it successfully. And yeah. part of that is that there are episodes that I don't care about. Right. Like there are episodes that are great and I love and I love the overarching you yeah. know thing. I love Anson Mount. Yeah. Love him. Yeah. He's, I mean, as soon as he showed up in Discovery, I was like, this is a person I will follow to death. This there was such a groundswell. You had Anson Mount as as Pike. Mm-hmm. You had Rebecca Romaine as number one mm-hmm. and Ethan Peck as Spock. And mm-hmm. people were just like, I love this. It was amazing. And people just like cr- made a series happen. They yeah. just manifested Strange It World. wasn't there. Was, I mean, there was not even an idea yeah. that it would be. I yeah. As I recall. No, it was not the intention. But no, then like but they showed up and everyone was like, this is. We can't the, let this, this go. Is the like best we have thing. lightning in because a Because he was intended to only be a one season yeah. person yes, he was. in Discovery. Yeah. Because he shows up as like a, sort of a replacement captain. Yeah. Like a the temporary Enterprise is like being captain. refit and he takes over. He takes over Discovery. And then he's just going to go away and Back like, ha ha, he's yeah. off to the Enterprise. Isn't that fun? Yeah. A little reference. Yeah. But yeah. Too good. It is. Too good. Yeah. He's amazing. And so I, I love I love the show and I love that they're like, cause <laughs> like when you, when you're watching next gen. Yeah. Oh, it's a wharf episode. Yeah. Oh, it's a data episode. Yeah, yeah. There's always something like that. Yeah. And I, I like being able to have that without it ruining the show yeah, for me. I agree. It, it definitely is the one that harkens back most to the concept of the original series. And I think it, you know, it, it really works for it because it is, it does still feel modern and fresh while also having a classic vibe, Yeah, you know, which is a, it's a tough line to walk. I don't know. You know, I, I would maybe say that lower decks edges it out a little bit based solely on how excited I am when a new episode of one That's of the true. other drops. That's true. Um, it, it is so fun. Well, uh, it's, I, I mean, you're talking freshness. I think that lower decks, it has that. It has that For freshness. Sure. It's yeah. a different kind of thing. Yep. Yep. Discovery has just been a rough journey because it started that I couldn't stand it. I kind of got into it, had a good time, and then I just, it's just diminishing returns ever since for me. Yeah. It's been a, a long fall yeah. into garbage yes, for I've me. <laughs> wow. Like I, so okay. Listen, I, I kind of hate it now. Yeah. And it's I really know. sad. I know. It is sad. I mean, when it first came out, I was so excited that there was going to be Star Trek. I yeah. was really nervous that they would ruin it. Yeah. I watched the first, like, I don't know, three or four episodes and yeah. hated it. I hated yeah. it. And then I loved it. I think I loved it yeah. for a while. I agree. And there were choices that I didn't think were great, but but I overall was really enjoying it. Yeah. But they've just sort of lost everything for I me know. now. I feel the same way. And, you know, talking about amazing acting Sonequa Martin Green as Michael amazing so I mean just she's so skilled and she can she can do so much and this is probably what I hate the most about what has happened to it because they have started to give her crap yeah to do yeah like they've just ruined her character it's, it is it is kind of in the writing because she was so good at playing those subtleties you know mm-hmm. just just like shatner is in this movie i mean she really she really was pulling out a lot of complex emotions with just a look mm-hmm. you know and that's uh i mean from an acting standpoint that is very very complex mm-hmm. it's very difficult to do and she just knocked it out of the park yeah and so as more and more michael is just becoming this big expressive she's emotive just sentimentalized. character yeah she's completely sentimentalized and i mean not just her it's the entire yeah crew it sort of with ceases, everybody ceases to function as individual characters and it's just one big ah. yeah you know Anyway, we don't have to sit here and, and bash Discovery, especially when we haven't even bashed Picard yet. 
I'm not talking about no, Picard. No, I think that's fair. I, I, will, I will say, I was mentioning earlier that we've been archiving the old episodes, and I, I listened to a little bit of the episode that Eric and I did on the All the Book Show leading into Picard coming out. And the hope and optimism oh, it's so sad. that I have based on those initial uh, images that you saw from Picard essentially advertising it's a completely like, different series. It's it I it's like they're sociopaths because <laughs> they know like those y- yeah. y- you could you could forgive it to a certain extent uh, that they're like, you know, caught up in I don't know, first contact, I yeah, guess. And yeah. they're like this is what people want for Picard, right. but those ads just prove where he's just that chilling somebody on yeah. knows what yeah. we want and they're like <laughs> Yeah. No. There, there are series that I never have really gotten into, namely Deep Space Nine and Enterprise. But I can say wholeheartedly that I feel that Picard is the absolute worst of Star Trek. It's not Star Trek. Ooh. Dropping the gauntlet. I mean, I, I do agree. It's not. I do agree. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just so... Boy. Yeah, I told you I didn't want to talk. I know, about I this. know. I can see the vein popping out of your head right now. The anger is. We is should do a whole up. episode of why it's no. a problem. <laughs> you know, Allie and I did a full episode on why Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Don't bring was up a- Doctor I'm Strange right. in the okay, Multiverse okay, 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 of okay, okay. Madness to me. Let's well, first let's acknowledge that the Chris Pine movies, particularly Star Trek 2008 and Star Trek Beyond, are magical. I love them, and I am so hoping that star trek 4 happens i know every time i see anything online it's either well star trek 4 is dead yeah. forever <laughs> or, definitely 100 or it's happening next or, year hey guess what yeah. it's, got, it's got a director it's been written it just delights me that that cast is so game I to know. do it especially just, when you think about particularly zoe saldana i mean it's like yeah. The biggest star that there stuff. is, honestly. Yeah. You know, between like the Avatar movies, which I don't care about, but the Avatar movies, Guardians of the Galaxy, mm-hmm. everything she does, you know, she's like a, a top tier marquee star. And she's like, let's do it. Let's yeah. let's do it right now. I'll do it tomorrow. They're just Same fun. with Chris Pine. And know? I think that's part of what makes them work. Yeah. Has to be that they all like it so much. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I think so too. Yeah, the camaraderie that you see, and I think that's true. Particularly, it comes through in Wrath of Khan, the the relationship between uh, DeForest Kelly, Leonard Nimoy, and William Shatner is just so rock solid. Mm-hmm. That trio of characters is just, they don't even have to say words, they don't even have to be in the same room together, and you just know how that functions. Yeah. And that's really like the core. Yeah. You know, that's the core of, of Star Trek, I feel mm-hmm. like. And it's so, it's so well exemplified in the Wrath of Khan. Great yeah. movie. We have the movie here in the collection at the David A. Help Public Library. We have the novelization. We have tons of Star Trek stuff, Hillary, and I don't, I don't know how that happened. I mean, I can't imagine. How yeah, that could I don't have know. It's just over the years yeah, we've accumulated a great collection of Star Trek stuff. So best not to look too deeply into that. Um, but yes, Hillary, I, I thank you for joining me on this journey through the Wrath of Khan. Thanks for having me on. Happy Star Trek Day to you. Happy Star Trek Day to you as well. Over on Endorian Life, Steve Rudd and I are also doing a Star Trek Day special, which is dropping today. So you can go and listen to that, and we talk all about the Lorelei Signal, an episode of Star Trek the Animated Series. Cool. And you're probably wondering, but it's a Star Wars podcast. <laughs> we, we don't care. For, uh, for one episode, it ceases to be a Star Wars podcast and becomes a Star Trek podcast. Hillary, what about you? I know you're podcasting out there in the world. Where can people find you? Well, I, as we said earlier, am the host of Previously on X-Men. Yes. Uh, that's where you can find me. Okay. I'm thinking about doing something with for Star Trek, but probably not. Okay. 
So it remains to be seen. You'll see. Remains to be seen. Okay. So go check out Hillary on previously on X-Men right here. Remember, you can join the Discord book club. Uh, you just have to join the library Discord server so you can contact us at All the Book Show on Twitter. Send us a Facebook message. Email us at uh, allthebookshow at gmail.com. All those ways will hook you up. We're talking about She-Hulk next. And then we're probably going to touch on some Neil Gaiman. Uh, we're talking about doing the graveyard book for uh, October. I want to see that Sandman show. Really? Oh, Sandman's so dark. I don't. I don't know if I can. I just it. see so much buzz about it. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of universally acclaimed, yeah. but it's also just dripping in darkness that yeah. I don't think I'd recover from. But God bless you. Go ahead. <laughs> Anyway, take a minute to rate and review the podcast. Remember, you can check out all the past episodes over on the YouTube channel. Next episode, we're going to do a special From the Stacks, an in-between episode for Batman Day, where Daphne's going to be back, and we're going to be looking particularly at the Batgirl introductory episodes, Batgirl Begins, from the uh, early 2000s Batman series, The Batman. So I'm, I'm excited to talk about that. I was very thrilled to learn that Daphne also loves that show. Yeah. The last time she was on, we did a Lonely Hearts book club that ended up being a little racist and a little sexist. So I like your Daphne episodes. I'm, thank you. She's got a zing. I, she does. I'm hoping that the, uh, the Batgirl episode goes more smoothly, but you'll have to tune in to find out. That's going to do it for this week's episode to House Things. Remember to listen to Hillary over on Previously on X-Men, and we will see you next time. <laughs>